This week, I talk more about the post-2020 revived church and why it's revived. And one of the reasons is it's willing to engage in discipleship and spend time with Jesus. What is discipleship? What am I talking about when I talk about discipleship? Let's discuss. Are you ready? Welcome to the Church 2060 Podcast, where we talk about all things church, where we've been, what we've learned, and where we're going. I'm Mike Brewer. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. This is the Church 2060 Podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Brewer. And today we are continuing our series, the Post-2020 Neo Church. And today's episode is titled, What We Are Talking About When We Are Talking About Discipleship. Now, if you're new to the to the podcast, I do want to stop for a minute and take a minute and explain what I mean by the post-2020 Neo Church. Now, obviously, when you think of the year 2020, we can sit back and say, yes, there's going to be, there's going to need to be a difference in how we do things in the year 2020, because 2020 was a hot mess. Yes, it was. This 2020 has been a hot mess, and hopefully we are learning from the Holy Spirit what we need to do differently going forward because the church was already in a decades-long decline and that got compounded when suddenly we found ourselves not able to attend church any longer. And now we seem to be picking up the pieces from that, trying to find out, figure out what the Holy Spirit is teaching us. Now, when I say neo-church, I want you to understand what I mean by neo. Neo can mean new or revived. I'm not I'm not talking about a new church as if we need to start a new religion, but I am talking about having a revived church now, usually when you hear the word revive and church in the same sentence, you get images of revival or people praying to God for revival or, or hearing preaching about revival. Or even you may have an image in your head of a tent being put up outside and having services five nights a week, trying to preach hard enough and pray hard enough and worship hard enough that God sends revival. But those are images that I'm not looking for today. I, I am not looking for God to send revival revival. I'm not looking for the fatigue or burnout that comes with having church every night of the week and expecting people with family and jobs to show up at church every day. That is not at all what I'm looking for or what I'm talking about. I am looking for something quite different, actually. Instead of praying for God to show up and bring revival in a way that we think revival should be, I believe we should be looking for a revived church. Now, what I mean by that is the church that is not in revival, but is revived one that is working within the plan of the Holy Spirit. Now, I tell you, the Holy Spirit is moving, right? We talk about this all the time. God's moving. Uh, that's, you know, and that's great. God's moving. But the problem is we're not always stepping into that move. So if you look at Scripture, you see plenty of examples throughout Scripture. And the one I love the most is, and I talk about the most is Abraham, right? God is moving and has a plan and wants Abraham to step into it. And it just simply says that Abraham went, right? Abraham went without knowing what he was doing, without knowing where he was going. He just went because the Holy Spirit was moving and God invited him into that move. So when I say a revived church, I'm talking about believers in the church stepping into what God is doing, saying, God, what are you doing? I want to be a part of it. Realizing what our gifts are, realizing that asking God to show up when he's already here doesn't always make sense, right? The Holy Spirit is moving and we 
should be a part of it. And we have the choice to do that or not. All through Scripture, we see God moving and choosing to partner with his people. And when I see what's next for the church, or I see what we should be doing or working on, I see the fact that there's already a move of the Spirit, and we need to be involved with that. So today, we're talking about discipleship and what discipleship has to do with being part of a revived church. So where do we start? And I simply want to start with, what is a disciple? Now, this sounds like it gets super hairy super fast, right? Because there's a whole industry based on discipleship and what a disciple is. What are the defining marks? What are the key characteristics? Ooh, that easy for me to say. Characteristics of a disciple. What are those things? There's book after book after book. And I'm going to tell you that we need to simplify our definition of discipleship. And a lot of you will think, ah, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say a disciple is a learner because that's simply what the word means is learner. I'm going to say no. A disciple of Jesus is someone who spends time with Jesus. We can complicate it all we want, but a disciple is someone who spends time with Jesus. Now, it is true that the word disciple does mean learner, but that's not all that it means, okay? There's a full definition there that means much more than just a learner. You know, a learner could be someone sitting in his closet reading a book, right? That's that's a, reading a book about Jesus. That doesn't necessarily make that person a disciple. And when I say that, I start with Jesus and the method Jesus used. See, Jesus had 12 disciples, and honestly, they were known as disciples before they had any key characteristics or defining marks or special things about them that made them better than the average guy. They were just ordinary guys. No seminary education. They just had a trade. They had no education. They were simple people, and Jesus chose them. Now, they learned a lot from Jesus. They did. Jesus showed them how to do things. He showed them how to live, how to behave, and he taught them how to do these things. He taught them how to be, and then eventually empowered them to do so themselves. But it all started with them following Jesus and spending time with him. That's it. They simply spent time with Jesus to learn from him. They spent time with Jesus to know who they were, to know what their gifts were, to be able to be sent out. They learned from him, and it all stemmed with spending time with him. So if you want to know what a disciple is, are you a disciple because you're a believer? I would say if you spend time with Jesus, you're a disciple. Start somewhere if you're not. It could be five minutes. You wake up in the morning and you say, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I want to be a part of what you're doing, and I want to know you better. And then read a passage of scripture, okay? It could be one chapter. Just pick a chapter, uh, pick a book, and then read a chapter every morning when you wake up. And then say, God, what are you trying to show me in this scripture? I want to know. And then just maybe spend five minutes being quiet and listening. That's being a disciple, being willing to learn and listen by spending time with Jesus. That's being a disciple. And I think it's important to start there. When we want to talk about discipleship, what does it mean to be discipling someone? Or what does it mean to be discipled? We first need to have a, a, a baseline, right? A disciple is someone who spends time with Jesus. And that's not where the Jesus method stops. In fact, it's generally where it starts because there has to be that moment, that, that time for us to accept an invitation. And that's where it starts with an invitation. And the Jesus method is an invitation and it's challenge. Jesus picked 12 people, and they spent three years with Jesus. These are just ordinary dudes, right? They were grown, had businesses. They did not have a rabbi picking them up and saying, hey, this is what we're up to today. You're going to be a disciple of mine. No, they were just ordinary guys. Jesus chose them, and they spent time with him. Now, over the course of time, he developed them, sent them out, he admonished them, but he had a, 
a cycle, right? He had a method of high invitation and high challenge, and that's how they got to where they were and changed the world as we know it. And that's why a lot of things that we think are discipleship are not, or they are very incomplete. For example, Sunday morning service. Hear me, Sunday morning service is fantastic. We need that. But hearing a message, worshiping, and sitting in a pew or chairs and facing forward for an hour and then getting out of there, that's not discipleship right? There may be invitation, right? There may be invitation saying, this is what we need to step into. This is what God's doing. These are your gifts. You need to do this, this, this. But at the end of the day, no one is holding you accountable. No one is challenging you in your personal life. That's why Sunday morning service is incomplete when it comes to discipleship. That's why small groups are incomplete when it comes to discipleship, because generally you have strong prayer, strong commitment to the word and community, But you generally don't have a lot of people challenging each other, saying, you know what, you said last week you were going to work on this. You were going to make this change, but you didn't. That's what's missing. That's why it's not discipleship completely. That's why Bible studies aren't discipleship, because there's components missing from the Jesus method. So today what I want to do is I want to take a look at that method. I want to take a look at what he was doing to disciple his people. So I want to go to Matthew chapter 16. I want to read some scripture with you right now. We're going to go to Matthew 16 and start at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of his prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's take a quick break to talk about something very important. Are you a church leader that deals with the church's finances? Do you find that a good deal of time is taken up dealing with bookkeeping? It's unavoidable. Between giving, giving statements, bookkeeping, payroll, deductions, direct deposit, your time is precious. It seems like too much time can be swallowed up dealing with these issues while ministry opportunities can be missed. It happens to all of us. Or maybe your situation is one where there just needs to be a change. It's a very big deal to have someone who is fully invested and understands the liabilities involved. Did you know that more money is lost through bad bookkeeping than is spent annually on global missions? That's a true story. These reasons are why I want to tell you about Evermore Financial Services. Evermore Financial is owned and operated by ministry partners. They are both church planters. And that matters because they understand the struggle and have come to specialize in handling church finances. Evermore Financial offers customizable solutions for all church accounting needs, whether it's online giving, giving statements, payroll, direct deposit, payroll deductions, housing allowance, or even W-2s. Whatever the needs are, the staff at Evermore understands and are ready to help. If this sounds like your needs too, whether it's today or three months from now, we want to talk. Your time is valuable to the kingdom and Evermore Financial is here for you. And did I mention that the owners of Evermore Financial actually do care about the financial success of your ministry? They do. They really do. For your peace of mind, Evermore is invested in current technology to make sure that your convenience, privacy, and security are always a top priority. 
Through our cloud-based accounting software, you can have immediate and always up-to-date access to any of your accounts from anywhere, anytime. Your peace of mind and accessibility are important to us, so we always want you to have easy access to your books. While we can assist any business that is looking to grow, Evermore Financial Services specializes in nonprofits, particularly church planning and operations. Don't just take our word for it. Check out this testimonial from a local church. Evermore Financial Services continues to be a fantastic partner of ours. Not only are they consummate professionals in all of their interactions, but they provide us with a personal touch in helping us to manage and plan our financial strategy. Their attention to detail is a strong point in their process, and they are incredibly proactive, helping us to anticipate and plan for financial events. Their integrity is impeccable. If you have a church, nonprofit, or a small business that could benefit from a financial supporter, you would be well served to partner with Evermore Financial Services. If it sounds like this could be a fit for your needs, let me know. If you're thinking that this might be a need down the road, we want to hear from you. We get it. If you have any questions or you're ready to talk, email me. I am Mike at evermorefs.com. That's Mike at E-V-E-R-M-O-R-E-F-S.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And in the meantime, check us out at evermorefs.com. Now, I absolutely love that passage, but there are a few things we should probably address up front Number one, Peter receives a revelation from God that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus affirms Peter and in doing so invites him in to draw closer. Jesus calls Peter the little rock. Now, the word for Peter, Petros in Greek, means little rock. And Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not come against it. Uh, and then later we see at the end of the sermon on the, the end, uh, the same chapter, we see Jesus refer to himself as the big rock. And he calls himself Petra, which means the big rock. In other words, there is a pecking order in rocks here. Okay, so it would go Jesus, then Peter, and then maybe Dwayne Johnson. We don't know. But anyways, Jesus is inviting Peter into the same relationship he has with the Father. Right? Jesus is inviting Peter into what is happening. In other words, that Peter accepted the invite to become a disciple. Now he's being invited further and deeper into more of a relationship with Jesus and the Father. That's a really big deal. You have to think that Peter felt pretty special, right? Peter felt like this is a big deal for me to get this kind of invite. And that's what Jesus does. He invites us in, invites us into his plan, and then moves us forward. But then we find out in a few verses later, in 16, verse 23, let me just read that to you. Jesus was explaining to them that it was important for him to go to Jerusalem, and they knew he'd be killed. But Peter pulled Jesus aside and started reprimanding him, right? And this is what Jesus' response was. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, let's take a step back for a second. Number one, I would hate to be in that situation to get pounded on like that from Jesus, right? Especially after I was just called the little rock, right? And I found out the church was going to be built upon this rock. That's a tough one. But that is challenge, folks. That's the piece that we don't necessarily have when we go to church on Sunday morning. We don't necessarily have that in a small group and where I think the church kind of falls short and misses the mark on discipleship is that challenge piece. Peter was invited in. Peter was given the keys to the kingdom. He was being told that he was the guy that Jesus was going to build his church on after he left. And then Peter said something stupid, which is not new for Peter, but Peter put his foot in his mouth and Jesus let him have it, explaining to him what the real problem was. And if we look at that that verse 
Jesus says, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. And the point of discipleship is to become more like Jesus, which means we are going to try to see things from God's point of view, not our own. Just like when we think about revival, I think we're thinking of things like, yes, God, we need you to come fix this, fix that. These are This is what we're trying to do. We need you to come and bring revival so all this stuff explodes that we're trying to do instead of stepping in to the plan that's already there, stepping into the move of the Spirit that's already happening. And we see this process continuing. Jesus does this with his disciples. He draws them in, loves them, gives them opportunity, empowers them, and they go out and they do. Now look, for this kind of relationship to happen for us, we have to have access to people's lives. Small groups could be a great place for it. But it's a little tougher. You know, you have husband and wife teams, people are eating, developing community, praying together, and you don't really necessarily know if you want to go deep into the challenge phase in a small group. And that's fine. Small groups may not be meant for the challenge phase, but it has to be somewhere. But it has to be somewhere or we're missing the mark. Again, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Sundays are wonderful, but they are missing the challenge piece. Bible studies are wonderful, but they are missing the challenge Small groups are wonderful, but they are missing the challenge. If you accept the invitation of Jesus, you are accepting the challenge because a challenge comes with the invitation. The Jesus method is invitation and challenge. It's not one without the other. Jesus created a highly inviting and highly challenging culture, and he did that for his disciples to grow in. In order for us to grow together, we need to develop an inviting and challenging system for each other to grow in. Okay, that's how they became who they ended up becoming, because Jesus didn't just invite them in. He didn't create a situation where people were bored or comfortable. The goal here is empowerment, just like Jesus did with his disciples. He empowered them, and when he left, he sent them the Holy Spirit, and they went out and they built the church as we know it, and the world changed. The goal was not coziness. The goal is not boredom. The goal is not stress. See, oftentimes we have this highly inviting situation, right? Or sometimes we have a highly challenging situation. We have a pastor that just loves to preach and tell people they're doing this wrong and that wrong and that wrong and they need to get better. And then they leave them hanging. That leads to stress. That leads to burnout. This kind of thing only happens in smaller settings. It's true. Disagree with them if you want. But the last time, actually, I've never, let me say that again, I've never been in a church service Or I've had a pastor say, hey, last week during the sermon, you spoke up and said you were going to do this last week during your life. Did you do it? And then I answer and then he says, well, what happened or why not? You know, there was, there's not that kind of challenge that doesn't happen during a Sunday morning service. Maybe your church is unique, but you have to have a smaller setting. Sunday services are fantastic. They can be warm and comfy and cozy and inviting, but not challenging. You may be invited, but no one is holding you accountable. Guys, biblical discipleship starts with a willingness to spend time with Jesus. In other words, accepting his invitation. The invitation's there, right? The invitation is there for us to enter into his plan and be discipled. It would be arrogant of me to say, I've got a plan and I need Jesus to step into that. That's raw arrogance. It starts with a willingness to spend time with Jesus and accept his invite. Then we have to engage in continual challenge with other disciples. Now here, this is what this looks like. This is, you know, it may be a group of three women or three guys, and and we, we read scripture together, we pray together, and we say, this is what God is teaching us. What are you going to do about it? Right? Because honestly, belief is an action. It's not an intellectual thing. It's an action. It's saying, I'm going to act on what I know is true. And we step into that, and we go. 
and we commit to taking action about what we believe in. And then someone holds us accountable, just like Jesus did to the disciples. When they said something stupid, when they knew what was right, Jesus held them accountable. And that's what we have to do for each other. We have to hold each other accountable. That is the Jesus method. A disciple is someone who spends time with Jesus. They learn from Jesus. We learn from Jesus what to do and how to be. So so what am I talking about when I'm talking about discipleship? Simply put, I'm talking about someone who is willing to accept the invitation of Jesus and spend time with him, to learn from him, to be willing to be discipled by other believers, to be challenged by other believers and held accountable. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about discipleship. This has been the Church 2060 Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe and you will be notified when new episodes drop. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, I am at Church 2060 Online. And until next time, may hope and peace be with you.